Soraya, how's it going? Hey Jeff, how are you? Well, I was really, really awesome until about a half an hour ago. Uh oh. So, so I my wife and I went uh to grab some tacos. It is Taco Tuesday for us. Of while, course. While, while we're recording this. And I came back and I noticed that my two tortoises, Lenny and Squiggy, were out roaming around in the little grass area. And I figured I'd give them a snack. So uh, whenever we eat watermelon, we keep the rinds for them. They love the rinds. <clears throat> so uh, I noticed that one of our rose bushes had a couple roses on it. And they I usually like top the, the watermelon rinds with the rose petals because it's a treat right. for them. Right. So I went to grab one of them, and somebody was occupying the rose, the the rose at the time, and I got stung, and now my hands all swollen. Oh, I know. No. I I'm so sad too because I love bees. Bees are awesome. So, and I know once they sting, it's kind of the the end of the road for them. So I'm kind of bummed. I'm bummed for the bee, and my swollen middle finger is not very fun. And then. And that wasn't the end of it. Then I look over at my big turtle, Lenny, and right next to him is one of my rat traps with a big, fat, black rat. No! Still flopping around. And I had to get up here to do the podcast, so I scooped him up with the, the doggy scooper and I threw him on the side of the house, and he's still flopping around, so I gotta go deal with that. But pretty soon I'm gonna be saying, bye-bye, black rat. This will be number four that I've caught. Oh, man. Otherwise, the day is great. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm excited because coming up, we're going to be speaking to Bradley from Bye Bye Blackbirds, the Bye Bye yes. Blackbirds, about their new, his, their, his new album, Boxer at Rest. So um, I say we get into this. <laughs> Let's do it. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tune. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agrubiar. Let's get groovy. Let's try it this way. There's more than one way to skin a rat. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it with the rats already. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Hey. How you doing, Bradley? This is Jeff and Soraya. Good to hear from you guys. Thanks for calling. We're excited to talk to you today because we're big fans of Boxer at Rest. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited to talk about it, too. Great. All right. Well, let's get into it. So for our listeners, on today's episode, Soraya and I are excited to be talking to Bradley. Bradley, um, help me out with your last name. I pronounce it Scott because it looks like Cot with an S in front of it. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's just it's Scott. Spelled weird, but pronounced yes. normal. <laughs> so it's spelled <laughs> S-K-A-U-G-H-T for our listeners. And Bradley is, I'm going to say the main guy from the Bye Bye Blackbirds at this point. And uh, we first learned about the Bye Bye Blackbirds last year when Matt Piucci of the Rain Parade was raving about his pre-release copy of the new album, Boxer at Rest. And he told us, Jeff and Soraya, you will not be disappointed when you hear this album. And once we got it, he yeah. was right. He was right, of course. He, was, <laughs> he wasn't wrong at all. 
I know. I don't like to let him know that he's right, but <laughs> he often is. We'll keep that well, on the down low. He definitely was this time. The album is absolutely fantastic, and we're hoping to learn more about Box Rat Rest today by having you on the call. So we wanted to thank you, Bradley, for taking our call, and we wanted to welcome you to Paisley Stage, Raspberry and Rhyme. Yeah. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Um, we want to jump right in and ask um, and and ask about the album. So um, the new album, Boxer at Rest, was released on April 24th, 2020. Um, and it's the fifth album by the band, uh, according to the press that we've uh, gotten our hands on. And we understand that there were some challenges recording this album in particular. And we'd like to know if you could talk to us about the circumstances surrounding the recording of this album sure yeah it, it's it's sort of become a running thing where i i go into a record thinking oh this time this one's going to be easy you know <laughs> this time and it never is like it's just kind of crazy how things come up this was the scariest probably in terms of um, being a, a personal issue our guitar player lenny um had been dealing with some heart issues for years it had some you know pretty serious surgeries before that we had weathered as as friends and as bandmates um but in the lead up to recording this record it was clear that you know something more serious was going on and um at, you know so at the same time we're trying to figure out what that is and 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 you know kind of showing up for him we're also making plans to record and and the main difference with this record was that we had um an actual like outside producer that had fly in and and work around a busy schedule um so you know it was a much more complicated process in terms of booking time and, and all that stuff and then once we had sort of finalized everything it became clear that that what lenny actually needed was an actual heart transplant um so you know the the, the obviously the fear surrounding that you know what does that even look like um is he going to survive this? What's what's the future look like? Um, and then at the same time, you know, kind of having to decide, do we just kind of go ahead and just dive in and, and try to start this thing and, and, you know, figure it out as we go along? And, um, you know, to even to this day, I can sort of go both ways. <laughs> but ultimately, I think we, we sort of just felt like, well, this is one of the ways that we're going to deal with this situation you know is dive into this project and and do this you know album and and work on things and and it became sort of a hopeful rallying point you know that lenny's going to recover and he's going to be well enough and he's going to come back and he's going to record his parts and we're going to have this great record and that's ultimately what happened um uh but it you know it, as you can imagine it was a pretty fraught you know roller coaster and and also, you know, I, I sort of had to convince everyone that this was a doable thing. You know, I'm, I remember talking to the engineer, um, Chris von Snyder, and being like, so we're going to make this record and we're going to leave a hole. <laughs> and this hole is going to be where the lead guitar goes. And every song is going to have this spot and we're just going to leave it blank. It's going to be great, you know, and just kind of looking at me like, what? Wow. <laughs> um, but that's what we did. That's how we did it. And it, and it worked. Um, miraculously so that's a very unusual yeah. process right recording without one of your members being there so mm -hmm. 
that's very it must have been a very interesting recording so bradley we know that you and lenny are members uh of the band at this point uh for the recording of boxer at rest can you tell us and our listeners about the history of the band and the, the band members and what led up to the current lineup and who the current lineup is yeah yeah so lenny and i are the are the the last founding members um i i've I keep forgetting exactly what year we started this. It's a long time, 12, 13 years, mm-hmm. something like that. And it, uh, our, our original guitar player, Ian Robertson, and I were sort of the, the founders initially. Like we had this idea of what we wanted a new band to be like. He and I had played together previously in other projects for years. So we had this kind of chemistry and we kind of knew what we wanted. Um, and our original bass player, uh, William Duke, had played with Lenny before. So they, they, they kind of came together. Um, and that lasted a while and, and, you know, just the general band turnover kind of situations. Um, the probably the most dramatic one in terms of Lenny's situation is that Lenny was actually our, our drummer for many, many years. And on the first two, two records, two, three, two and a half records, something like that. Um, and when Ian Robertson left the band, Lenny actually took over lead guitar. So he sort of did the dramatic uh, shift from the back of the stage to the front. Um, You know, and since then we've, we've gone through a fair number of drummers, which I guess is is your normal indie rock phenomenon. Um, But Aaron Rubin, our bass player has been with us for, for quite a while now, seven, eight years, maybe even closer to, to almost 10 years. Um, so Lenny and Aaron and I really, you know, we've made the bulk of the records together and, 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 you know, shows and tours and things like that. Um, uh, one of the things that contributes to this record and to the way we recorded it and to the general feel of it is that we've, uh, had our current drummer, Joe Becker, um, for probably the longest we've had a drummer since Lenny's original stand. And that makes just you know such a huge difference having that continuity and playing a lot of shows with him and a lot of rehearsing with him and um, and obviously he his background you know he he was in Thin White Rope he was in the Loud Family I mean he's got this incredible history of making phenomenal records with great bands so having a drummer like that for a long stretch and not having that drummer turnover thing um, I think it was huge in terms of sort of our confidence in going into this record and then the other there's two other members who one is Casey Bowman, who um, I sort of think of as our jack of all trades guy. He doesn't rehearse with us very often. He sometimes he just comes to shows and he sings harmony. He sings percussion. He can do other guitar parts. He just kind of does whatever needs to get done. And he just shows up and knows how to do it. And then for this record, our friend Kelly Atkins was a huge part. She's a, one of our, my favorite singers and a local musician that I've interacted with for years. And she occasionally will play live with us, for, but mostly for this record, it was she's she's just a huge part of the the harmony, arranging and and singing and, and the blend and and so um, Casey and and Kelly were a big part of this record, even if they're not always a part of the band in our day to day function. Right, but it, as far as this record goes, they they definitely had some significant input, I from what I can tell. Huge. Yeah. 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 Um, the, really the vo- the bulk of the vocal harmony stuff, which is always a kind of a focus on our records was, was those two with Casey and Kelly. Um, 
and that was a, a big part of the personality of the record and, and really in their hands. Nice. And you mentioned your drummer, Joseph Becker. I believe he even played with Game Theory, maybe? I know he played with Loud Family, so he definitely has that association with Scott Miller, but I think he might have even played on a Game Theory record or two, if I'm not mistaken. He, he was in, he was in just a, a lineup of Game Theory that existed briefly after Two Steps from the Middle Ages came out, and it was um, Gil Ray, the the game series longtime drummer had had hurt his back and couldn't play drums. And so he played keyboards and guitars and Joe played drums and Michael Quercio played bass. It was a, and um, they didn't make a record per se, but there was a, a compilation that came out this year on Omnivore mm -hmm. that collects demos and live recordings and things that that lineup did. Um, so yeah, Joe was in a, a, a game theory lineup and now something that's sort of documented on, on record. And Joe was Scott's childhood friend. They went back, you know, to, to childhood and played and stuff before Game Theory. So there's a long history there. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And I think you even had, um, you were friends with Scott as well. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 We were pretty good friends and, and we played, we played some shows together. Um, you know, Scott had somewhat retired uh, by the time he and I got close, but uh, he would, you know, come out and play shows once in a while, and and he and I would either put a little band together or just do it as a duo or or something like that. So yeah, I knew I knew Scott pretty well. I like that, you know, just a little band, you know, two pretty great musicians, <laughs> just a little band. <laughs> um, I we've got another question. There are some pretty heavy hitters on from the indie circles in the production credits for this album. Um, Doug Gillard in producer role and Chris Von Snyder, uh, engineering boxer at rest. And we wanted to know how they came to be involved with this project. Yeah, Doug, Doug and I have, have known each other kind of peripherally for a really long time, maybe 20 some years. Um, when I first moved to California, I played drums uh, for this, this really great singer songwriter named Yuji Oniki. And uh, Yuji and Doug went back to college radio days in the 80s and Doug would always do some guitar parts on Yuji's records and um, so we kind of we were in the same kind of circle for a little bit and I was a huge still am huge Guided by Voices fan um, and that process really got me into Doug's other stuff too you know the Death of Samantha and, and Doug's own solo stuff um, and then there's, there's another funny connection which is that uh, Doug's wife is actually an old friend of mine as well. And and she was my first roommate when I moved to California. So we've, oh, wow. we've just sort of, we've had this funny kind of social musical connection off and on for years. And, and, and I'm a huge fan of everything he does. And so I just had it in my head, you know, that at some point I would love for some project to materialize. It would be, you know, I could get him involved. And, um, and this, you know, when 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 we had this record coming together and we were rehearsing it, we were all really excited about it. It sort of felt like the time was right to to bring in, you know, someone to do that to be in a more, you know, established producer role. And and Doug was one of the, you know, the first people I thought of. Um, Chris von Snyder is, you know, another fantastic songwriter and and another guy that I, when I moved out here, you know, immediately gravitated to to go to his shows and and 
became a fan of. And over the years, I started hearing from people like, oh, you know, he's actually a really great recording engineer. Um, and I want to say, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, he did a record by this, this great local songwriter named Tom Heyman. And, uh, and it was just a, just a cool sounding record. And I, I just love the feel of it. And it felt very in sync with kind of where our heads were at in terms of what we wanted to sound like. And uh, so I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to work with, with Chris. Um, he also has his, he's got his own little studio and it's in the same complex as Hyde Street Studios. And Hyde Street um, is the old Wally Hyder studio. So this is, you know, this is kind of holy ground in rock and roll. This is, you know, Credence, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Van Morrison, you know, that's the kind of David Crosby, this is the level of, of awesome that you're sort of dealing with at Hyde Street. And working with Chris, you you can work at Hyde Street, you can work in their in their big room. And so it just sort of added, you know, to the this this sense of excitement about it, this kind of gravitas is like, oh, okay, we're gonna work with these, you know, guys that I really admire and we can do it in this kind of legendary space, you know, where so many incredible classic records have been made. So that was the the process of getting those guys involved. That's amazing, and the, mm-hmm. I, I will say that the, in addition to the music being great on this record, it really sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and and Chris is Chris is one of the the easiest engineers I've ever worked with in terms of just you know his instincts. He knows what to do. He knows that room really well. I mean, it was just it's probably the the least amount of time I've spent fussing over sounds in a studio. It just seemed like every time you put a mic up, it was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's exactly what that's supposed to sound like. Nice. It was such a relief. So great. Fantastic. That's gotta be great as an artist to not have to worry yeah. about those kind of things. Leave that to the engineer. Right. And I, I wanted yeah, to mention, I, well, that was, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say that's part of the thinking from a personal standpoint with getting both Doug and, and Chris involved really was, to just focus on playing, you know, I, I enjoy being a band leader. I love being in the studio, you know, I, I really sort of the motivating, you know, uh, personality on a lot of fronts with, with everything we do. Um, but you know, I was sort of in a headspace, particularly with this record of just like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that has to make every single call. Like I want to <laughs> put really good people in charge so that, you know, when a take is done, I'm not the one that everyone looks at. We can just kind of, I can just be the guitar player and the singer. And, you know, and I made a lot of decisions and picked and, and chose my moments to, to be um, directing things, but it was really nice to have just really talented people to let them, nice. you know, very nice. be in charge. And I will say um, about Doug, I'm a huge Not A Surf fan. I love that band. Mm. And he's a, a very um, prominent member at times, for the most part, of that band, too. So uh, that was really cool when I saw him his name pop up in the credits. But Bradley, yeah. um, one more thing. Um, I'm curious about the title of the album, because usually uh, w- with album titles, you'll see a song title or you'll see the name of of the album appear in lyrics. I don't see any of that. So where does this title come from? Boxer at rest. The title is, um, there's a, uh, a statue, a sculpture, an, an ancient Greek sculpture that in English is called boxer at rest. And, uh, I was watching 
some kind of art history documentary on television. And, uh, and, and this particular episode was, was focused on the art of antiquity and, um, the, the sculpture itself is, is kind of stunning and it's, it's almost hard to believe it's as old as it is. It's, it's just, it feels like such a contemporary theme. It's, it's of a, of an older boxer clearly just, you know, either between rounds or having finished a fight, beat up, exhausted, um, you know, visible injuries. It's a very powerful sculpture. And I think the combination of, of being struck by this sort of famous sculpture that I had never seen, um, the phrase boxer at rest, I, I just kind of loved the sound of, of that and the words. And then thematically, it just sort of resonated, you know, it, it just this idea of, you know, sort of being beaten up and going through turmoil, but being resilient and sort of having this, this mentality of, of survival and, and competition and, um, you know, digging deep to get through challenges or whatever. Um, all of those things just sort of combined at once. And, and I, I don't know, it was just sort of like a light bulb moment. I was like, Oh, that, that title really makes sense for this. Um, even though, like you said, there's no, there's nothing in the lyrics about it. There's no, song called that uh, but they have that that combination of experiences really resonated it's it's an intriguing title and one of the things that we found really interesting is we understand that the band put out the album independently and in fact you did most of the work yourself and we were curious if, if you could talk to us a little bit about the process of self-releasing the album and the record label, Double Potions Records. Yeah, we, we've we been on a couple labels briefly in the past. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny scene. As you guys know, the music industry landscape, there's, it's not like it used to be, is the cliche, um, in terms of labels and, and especially in, in terms of the kinds of music that, labels are, are interested in, for the most part, small indie labels are very, very specific kind of narrow focused genre things. And um, for whatever reason, you know, we don't fit easily into any of those. And uh, with with some previous records, I would always go through this process of, of, you know, trying to get in touch with people, connections I had to label, see if we could get someone to help us out, split the cost, pick it up, do something like that. And at some point I just reached this level of, of thinking that that wasn't really worth it anymore, that, that I could do anything a small label could do for the most part on my own. Um, you know, if you look around sort of the musical landscape, you'll see a lot of artists, even established artists, just, you know, putting things out themselves on Bandcamp. If they're big enough, they might license to a label, but they're still kind of owning it themselves. And so it just became sort of a, a habit, you know, I just got used to it. And, um, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm particularly good at it, but <laughs> I, I kind of I like being, you know, it, it, having, being that hands-on about it. Um, I, I was thinking lately about uh, the Greg Sage, the frontman for Wipers, and sort of his kind of in-house, you know, processes that he 
began way back in the, the late 70s, early 80s. And when I was growing up in the Northwest and, and getting to know local rock and roll and stuff up there, he was such a, a hero to a lot of people for that reason. You know, I mean, obviously great music too, but it was always just sort of like, oh, it's so cool. You know, he records his own records and he's got his own say in it. And, and you know, it really, what you get is really his whole complete vision. And, um, you know, I mean, I know he was on Restless and Tim Kerr, I think at some point, but for the the most part, that idea is really attractive to me. And, um, you know, not to say that if Merge <laughs> called tomorrow, I would say no, <laughs> but, um, you know, but it, it just became, it's just easier and it's increasingly easier as the music industry gets weirder and more kind of murky in terms of how things bubble to the surface and how things make it to people's ears. Um, it's almost just easier to have everything in your apartment and just say, here it is. And then do your best to try to get as many people to hear it as possible. I love that. So is distribution a concern at this point in the music industry or with the internet is distribution, not something that you're as concerned with? It makes a difference. You know, that is a, a, a bummer that it's not sitting on a racket grimy than nashville or something and someone you know doesn't have that moment of like oh my friend mentioned that or i you know read about it in big takeover or something so that is an issue and that you know i don't necessarily know what the the number difference would be like how much that would expand the sales um but you know it's also like you said um things are so much more focused on ordering directly and pre-ordering um, a lot of people have just moved purely digital, you know, streaming services. They don't even buy downloads anymore. I mean, that was one thing I noticed on, I think the latest, whatever sheet that I, I got about it. this record is it used to be that, you know, iTunes was like a big thing. And then the streaming services kind of fell in line after that. And now it's totally flip-flop. Almost nobody buys the download from a, another service, you know, so um, so distribution makes a, a difference, especially if you're going to tour, I think, you know, and you're really getting out to different towns and getting your name out there. But, you know, again, sort of having it all in-house is 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 fine. You know, it's comfortable and, and um, it just means that, you know, I have to do a little more work trying to push outside the the bubbles that I know, you know, that my circles and try to get, you know, new ears on it. Nice. Well, I have to tell you, Bradley, that I have an agenda in in talking to you, and that is to get our <laughs> listeners to listen to this record. Yes. So, so I do have an agenda. I will say. I love I, this I, agenda. I, this is great. I got to be. I fully endorse your agenda. <laughs> <laughs> and we promoted it. We promoted the album too on the Bandcamp First Fridays. I mean, we're we're big fans. Big big fans. I, that's and that. Mean, it means an enormous amount personally and also just that's that's sort of the way things are right now you know is sharing what you love and and drawing attention to it and if there's a positive in in releasing a record um during the the, the pandemic and the, the various crises that we're living through at the moment one of them is is in the arts you know people are really i think paying attention you know i think you post a link and a lot more people are like, Hey, I'm going to make the time to 
to play this, to listen to this. And I see a lot of musicians saying, hey, listen to my friend's record, maybe you know, more than even I remember in the past. And so that kind of thing, that sort of drawing attention to it is, it, it doesn't just feel like marketing. It feels like that's how we're getting through things for those of us that love art and get a lot out of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And as we previously mentioned, that's what led us to Boxer at Rest. So it was that personal recommendation. So mm -hmm. we are passing that forward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's much appreciated. So Bradley, Boxer at Rest has nine songs on it. And in my opinion, it falls in that perfect range of 30 to 35 minutes. So like you have records like the Shins' O Inverted World or the, the debut Weezer album. There, that, that For me, that's the sweet spot in between the 30 and 35 minute range because at the end of it, with a record like Boxer at Rest, you want to go back and listen to it again. Like you, We need more. So the, the album is about <laughs> 33 minutes. Um, do you mind if we go through the entire album track by track? And um, as we go through the tracks, if you want to talk about what the song is about or just about the recording process either one whatever you feel more comfortable are you okay with that yeah twist, twist my arm okay <laughs> all right so the album starts off with the lead off track you were all light and um it has my favorite lyrics from the album and that's time buries its thorns in our side double crossed lonely and blind but we held its hands through the night i love that 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 phrase in referencing time that we held its hands through the night and just absolutely love that Do you mind telling us about the inspiration about You Were All Light? Yeah, that um, that song is is one of the few that I I kind of knew immediately what it was about. So um, we mentioned Gil Ray earlier, and he was you know, pretty much my best friend for a long time. And um, the album, the writing of this album sort of kicked in for me. In a, in a major way, maybe a month or so after he passed away. And uh, I don't remember exactly what order things were written in, but that song, I knew immediately that that's what was coming through in terms of what I was writing about, that I was writing about Gil and um, sort of his spirit in my life, but in all of his friends' lives and, and certain things that he represented. Um, some of which are very specific, you know, some lines stick out. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that's about. And some are very, you know, I don't know where they come from. I don't necessarily know what they mean, but they, you know, feel right. Uh, so that song is is very much about Gil um, and about 
you know, just sort of celebrating lost friend, which is, is one of the themes that kind of pops up throughout the record. And uh, so that's that's really what that one's about. Oh, great. Yeah. I, I knew that you guys were friends. I didn't know that it was specifically about him or um, referencing him or he was the inspiration behind that. But I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I did want to mention from a musical standpoint with this song, it's very interesting because the song has horns in it, um, mm -hmm. as does another song on the album. And um, one touch that I love about this particular song is it's it's a very pop song, but it's got the slight dissonance in the descending guitar notes after the chorus. Um, there's some, mm -hmm. some bends, and it's just so slight, but it just adds this feel to it, to an otherwise pop song and you have this dissonance in these notes and they're fantastic. talk to us about the how the horns came in whose idea that was and about the the um musicians that play the horns yeah the um the horn stuff that's a a, a love of mine i love horns and rock records and um i'm always kind of looking for looking for opportunities to use it but sometimes in, a, in an unusual way you know i think left to my own devices i would probably do it too much uh and um, so for most of our records, anytime there's horns or trumpet, um, we use this friend of mine named Bill Swan, who was the trumpet player and lead guitar player in Beulah, who were one of my favorite, favorite oh, bands. I love from back Beulah. In the... Yoko is such a great yeah. album. Oh my gosh. I oh, incredible record. So yeah, so Bill is, Bill is the guy, Bill's the Beulah guy. He was, wow. he and Miles were the main dudes in that band. And um Bill always just, he's just kind of one of these really, really natural musicians. He always has some idea that's just phenomenal. Whatever little thing it is, it just brings so much to the song. So he's responsible for the, the horns on this record. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I, the, that, you know, that da, na, 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 guitar thing. Yeah. To me, you know, really kind of screamed for horns, but I didn't want it to happen all the way through. I wanted it to be sort of a special thing that came in towards the end. And, and um, you know, Bill and I are, we're huge fans of uh, the Verlaine's, the Flying Nun Band. And um, Grand Downs has this sort of gift for using horns in an unusual way, in very kind of dense, chordal, interesting ways in, in rock music. And uh, so I sort of feel like that whole end part where the, the horns are kind of droning on top of the, you know, guitar changes and stuff like that, that feels kind of their lanesy to me. So I think that's sort of Bill and I, you know, 
calling on our sort of Grand Downs fandom and bringing that element. So the Verlaines, they were the band that did that Death and the Maiden song. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. such a great yeah, that's, song. That's, it is. And and that's their most famous song probably, but they have a, a pretty big catalog and they, they went through a lot of interesting changes. And um, he's a fascinating songwriter, a real hero of mine that um, that I think is worth people spending more time and digging in, you know, and investigating a really unique songwriter and, and just, like I said, used strings and horns and sort of orchestral details in a rock band context in a, in a pretty unique way in a, in a very non prog sort of way. (laughs) And second track is how do we stay? And this, this, uh, this, these lines stood out to me. And if we want to start breathing now, can we hold the storm in our lungs and blow it away? And if we're gonna start feeling now, can we feel just like the ocean with all of its waves? It's waves. And if we wanna start breathing now, can we hold the storm? Okay, first of all, I just I, I love the poetry of that, but we'd love to know the story behind this song. This song uh, is about, um, I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, there was a, a tragedy in Oakland. Um, there was a fire in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a nightclub called The Ghost Ship. And uh, it, was, it was extremely, I mean, it's, it was horrific, of course, uh, on a personal level, but it was also very traumatic um, for the city and the and the region. You know, it was it's it was this kind of horrible tragedy in an arts community in a young arts community. Something that all of us who live here, who are involved in the arts in any way, had some connection to. Um, and you know, it's a it's a scar. And a, and a trauma that this city of Oakland has has not recovered from and has not really processed. And, and the legal processes that have come after that have not made it any easier. Um, and, I, and similar to sort of how I found, you know, myself dealing with Gil's loss coming through songs, this, you know, it's a, a little while after the ghost ship tragedy you know, all of a sudden it was like there were, there's actually two songs on the record. We'll get to the other one later that are about it. Um, and it was, you know, the kind of thing where I never would have conscientiously sat down and said, I'm going to write a song about this. What do I think about it? What do I feel about it? Um, but, you know, that song was written very quickly, kind of immediately had this real feel to it. The lyrics 
came very simply and easily for me. And it was one of those things where I kind of finished it, looked down on the page and I was like, oh, wow, okay, I know where this feeling comes from. Um, and it, again, it's that sort of not just, you know, personal response to this tragedy, but living in a, you know, a, a place where that kind of tragedy has really hit and you're, you know, the, the human part of that that doesn't, you know, isn't easy to process. Right. So I think, Bradley, uh, piggybacking on how do we stay, um, and especially with what we're going through now in California with all of our fires that we're fighting, the next song is so true. The city is burning down One whole block at a time All the old shops and old folks' homes that song you the song mentions burning smoke flames um i don't know if those are literal um words or metaphorical but um can you tell us about this one is this one also related to that same incident or something similar it's not it's a different incident um and in this case it really is very literal um there was a a a long stretch where there were a lot of very mysterious fires in the mission district in San Francisco. And, um, you know, it was kind of one of those things where like an old building would burn down. And then the next thing, you know, there was a really fancy condominium going up in that same lot. And the combination of this sort of, you know, sort of apocalyptic feeling of massive fires in an urban environment combined with, gentrification and and changing personalities of of a of a you know of a neighborhood of a famous neighborhood in San Francisco um that was really those kind of things were all stirred up for me in writing this one because um, this whole area you know like a lot of urban areas in America is, is undergoing gentrification and rapid changes and um it's sort of an out of control feeling and you feel like powers beyond the neighborhoods themselves and the people who live here are, are making decisions about the place that you live. And, uh, and in this case, there's this kind of violent aspect of literal homes burning to the ground and being replaced by places where the people who lived there before certainly weren't going to be living. Um, so that's, that song really came out of that period of thinking about that. And, 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 um, and then really just a friend and I walking around the mission after one of these fires and, and seeing that pattern, you know, it's a when you think about that, you know this this song really. I don't know. It leaves you with a lot of things to kind of process at the end. But and now hearing a little more about the story, it, now it you know for me it, it it makes it even more so. It makes it even more so. But um, hopefully it, it's hopefully it's not too specific to you know. I, I think my process of writing is is to stay as in touch with the the feelings mm -hmm. and resonant images resonant ideas and less about the 
specifics of whatever's going on. And hopefully that comes across too, so that it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, this is the San Francisco song we're building yeah. burn right. down, you know. But this right. is a song about something that's going on around here that's changing, you know, the place that I live and and, and yeah. you know, how do I feel about that? How do I navigate that? You know, I I I I agree. And I think just as a listener, um in case you haven't you haven't uh, figured it out, Jeff is a musician and I'm not. <laughs> But I listen to lyrics and I process them and I, you know, analyze them. And so there are songs and there are lyrics that resonate with me. And so the feeling that I had with So True was one where I was kind of left afterward just thinking, just thinking and now mm -hmm. hearing the story. Yes, you know, not necessarily super specific, but still leaves you with things to think about. Yeah. That's, I, and that's I great. Like yeah. I feel like... Um, Lyrics are such a huge priority for me, both as a listener and as a as a writer. And um, it's fun to talk about them because so people kind of rarely do. <laughs> you know, it seems like you read a lot of record reviews and interviews and stuff, and it's it's kind of surprising how rarely you know attention is really paid to the lyrics of even of of renowned songwriters. Um, so it's 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 great. It's it's really moving actually to have someone reading the lyric sheet or paying attention or, or, you know, thinking about those things. It's great. Well, I like doing it. I like doing it. So, <laughs> and there are songs that inspire you. So, and then the next song, Jeff, I don't think I'm talking out of turn here when I say this is, this is really what kind of made me, you know, go all in, all in on Bye Bye Black. <laughs> and it's Baby, It's Still You. And we found a really, really great live solo performance of the song on YouTube that we're absolutely recommending for our listeners to check out. And we'll provide a link on our page to it. Um, and again, going back to the lyrics, the imagery of some of the lyrics are so interesting. So I just want to um, mention two lines in particular. So... What about who's that chasing the days? Who's that pulling the reins when the world's not slowing down? And then a little later on, when the streets that we live on lead to rooms we don't know.
what can you tell us about Baby It's Still You? I I love this song. Love it. Thank you. Um, it's it, similar to the first song. It's it's another you know kind of tribute to lost friend song. Um, uh, the specifics of it are, are not as maybe not as specific, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's really uh, a, a friend who was was lost way 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 too young, and the the thing that I felt while writing it, and then I get while when I hear it or, or read the lyrics is um, the sense of how you keep how someone's spirit and how someone's energy and how their personality perseveres, you know, and um, in a way the song is almost speaking directly to this person and saying, you're not here, you know, what, what's happened has happened and you're lost to us in this way. But all of these things that you represent to us in our, in, in our lives um, survive and these things are still here and you're still playing this role in our lives in this really kind of beautiful way um, or hopefully beautiful way. Hopefully that comes across. Um, so it's kind of, it's a, it's a sad song of loss in a way, but it's also a song essentially kind of speaking to that lost person saying, you're still here. You're still appreciated. You're, our love for you still survives in these ways that are distinctly you. Mm-hmm. And you bring in horns again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The horns are great on this one. They are. I love um, one of my favorite horn details in that song is the sort of that little bit leading up to the chorus. Uh, Bill's trumpet part in there is it sounds like something from a Bacharach record. Like, it's kind of, you know, like it's really kind of jazzy hooky little line and i just love that like that's when i talk about sort of the 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 genius of bill swan and his ability to find amazing little melodies and hooks and things and songs that's a perfect example no one else would come up with with something like that i love that i'm still blown away that it's the the bill swan of beulah i'm a huge beulah fan i mean (laughs) oh that's awesome nobody can write well Miles can write some melodies that will stick in my head for months. Uh, They're a great band. Um, That one documentary that they did of their last tour was heartbreaking for me to watch, but I'm a huge, what what was it called? The the band that won't survive or something like that. Mm. Whatever whatever that DVD (laughs) was of their last tour. Because I'm such a huge fan of Beulah's or or was, and uh, that was a tough watch. But um, I'm blown away. Yeah, really, I hope... I hope that there's a, um, you know, a revival of interest. I mean, I, they, they have their fans, you know, those records still are popular, but I, I hope that at some point, you know, people really are like, oh, wait a minute, listen to what, what Miles did as a songwriter, listen to what this band did musically, because they're pretty special and, and pretty unique. And um, yeah, and, and talk about lyrics. I mean, Miles is, is just such a fascinating, strange, funny, smart lyricist. Um, and uh, hopefully we haven't heard the last from him. You know, I, I, I have a feeling that there's more. I know um, I keep in touch with him a little bit and, and, you know, he's had a kid and he's, you know, been sort of living his parent life and doing all these other work changes and stuff. But I know that he's, I know that he doesn't really ever quit. You know, I know that there's still, you know, that bug in there, hopefully that's, that's going to come out because um, he's a really special songwriter. Yeah, his post Beulah solo album is fantastic too. That... It is, and, and if you if you read the credits, we actually sing on it. That's That was sort of our, our, we, we did some of the 
there's like 3,000 people, I think, on that record. And I think we're like <laughs> number 2,700 through 2,704. I can't remember. But yeah, we actually got called in to do some of the, the harmony singing and stuff on that. So really proud of that. Love, love being a part of that record because that's a cool record that I think a lot of people miss. Yeah, it's great. And there's some really, really funny videos for, from that album, too. <laughs> but today we're talking about boxer at rest yes. so um closing out <laughs> side one i'm a vinyl listener bradley so this is the last song on side one um it's words and you. signs yeah so i'm gonna go off on a little dirty side road um on this because in the song <laughs> there's a line that says whiskey glows in dusty rooms all the lonely It bell like autumn leaves Whiskey glows in dusty rooms I couldn't stand the light Without the clouds And I just wanted to mention for our listeners that Bradley posts these pictures of drinks, adult spirits, mm-hmm. on his page. And I don't know if you are a bartender, but... <laughs> When you describe what's in these drinks, they sound amazing, and it always makes me want to go to go to our little bar and meet, try to come up with something. But they never look half as good as what you post. So, were you a bartender? Where do where do all these ideas for no. drinks come from? No, I mean it, it's it's you know it's a hobby, I guess, um, and you know it's it's a quarantine coping process. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I sort of realized the other day, I was like, boy, people on social media must think I'm a, a total lush. <laughs> no, but not that at I, all. I love I love the I love the aesthetics of drinks and cocktails. Um, and I guess I didn't even really think about that line and and in that context until you brought it up. But um, I'm not a I don't go to bars a lot, even when you can go to bars. Um, but when I do, I love you know, what drinks look like sitting on a bar, you know, counter. I love watching them get made. I love how people hold them. Um, there are certain bars that I like maybe as much for the light in the, in the room as I do, you know, whatever they serve. So uh, it's funny. I guess I, I hadn't really thought about how that fed into uh, the song, you know, but that's a, that is a thing that I sort of respond to. And so if I'm taking photos and talking about, a drink that I've made at home or something. Um, that's sort of the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, how pretty this looks and all oh, the light's just right. How oh, cool, you know. I get excited about that kind of thing. Uh, before we get back to the song, I'm just a small aside. It's not just spirits, okay? Because he does the same thing. He, he posts these photos of these beautiful plates of food. He does these he does these Sunday brunches where you want to jump in the photo and sit at the table. And it's like you see things with colors and textures and the way he describes it is pretty amazing. So it's like you see these beautiful spirits and you see this beautiful food and you're like, damn, I wanna go over to Bradley's house now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I know. I wanna yep. share a drink. I wanna sit at that table. So just know we're watching it all. Yes. We're watching it. All. We wanna be I'm just sorry. give me like ten minutes notice so you won't catch me microwaving a hot dog or something. <laughs> you know, like that's the key. I really gotta keep the appearances up. 
but anyway, we, words and signs. Yes. <laughs> so, words and signs, um, which is basically a solo acoustic song, from what I can tell. And it has my second favorite line mm-hmm. from the album, and that's, I haunt your singing like a ghost. I pray it never ends. I haunt your singing like a ghost. I pray it never ends. love that line um so this is the one song on the album that sounds like it's strictly bradley scott is that correct it is yeah yeah just just guitar and voice nothing no overdubs you know basically straight up so what is the song about i think (laughs) um there's a, a a thread that runs through my songwriting off and on since i was teenager um of songs that are kind of about my hometown i grew up in in tacoma washington up in puget sound and um i haven't lived there for a really long time but it's a a a city that just has a real mystique for me you know a kind of almost like a personal mythology about it um you know I, i love the history of it i love a lot of things about it um, but it just it sort of is in my subconscious all the time in, in different ways. And I feel like this song is really um, kind of reflective in that regard. I think it's there's something about it. Uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. That's it's maybe addressed to people I knew there, people I grew up with, um, kind of looking back on, you know, how lives have diverged, maybe. Um, so, you know, I don't have a real like solid sense of of what it's about exactly but it really feels like another song that's sort of in that hometown mythology kind of state of mind that i i often find myself in i love that and it sounds to me like some with some of these songs that they you're just a conduit like these songs just kind of happen and you're there that's what it sounds like to me um like you maybe you filter some things but they sounds like some like some of these words they just come to you that's yeah that's really very much how i work um i was just reminded when you were saying that of of something that i read in a a scott miller interview but it was also something that he told me uh, on occasion too when we would have musical conversations and um, he always said that for him to understand what he was talking about in a song he would listen to that song the way he would listen to someone else's song you know, he would he would listen to it and read the lyrics and say and and come, you know, draw conclusions based on what he was reading and hearing and thinking about. Um, and and not that he had gone into the song with a very clear idea of what he wanted to write about. And that's how I write as well. Um, you know, I, I it's not necessarily just purely, you know, 
automatic writing where I don't know what the words are at all. You know, they sort of feed each other. You know, you come up with a line, you come up with a hook, you come up with some lyrics and, and then you just sort of follow that feeling, follow the sounds of the words and, and um, the editing process is, you know, where you kind of make it cohere, you know, make it sound good, make it, you know, stick together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not a process where I know what I'm writing usually while I'm writing it. It's usually something that I, feel or discover later um and and sometimes it's a, it's a complete surprise um and sometimes it's always mysterious sometimes I, I never really know you know it's just a matter of, of finding the, the spot where the words feel right and um and they feel right being sung and they, and they feel right in relation to all the other words i love that i love that idea that you and yeah. scott had with listening to your own song and hearing it as a listener that's so, right. so great it was something that we, I think, bonded over, you know, as we got to know each other, because almost all of our conversations were, were music related, you know, it was just this sort of ongoing musical conversation, uh, stuff we were listening to primarily. Um, but I think we were very different writers in a lot of ways, but that was one thing that was very similar for us was this, this idea that you put yourself in a place where you're attentive to you know, ideas that are coming through and, and, and you trust that and you, your process is not so much focusing it onto specific topics, but being aware of what's coming through and being aware of what really resonates, what really has feeling to it. Um, and, and tr trusting yourself as you get better at it, that there's some kind of truth behind it. That's why it's resonating. You know, like the reason this phrase feels perfect right now is because it's telling you something and you can figure it out later but for now you can just kind of trust it is that i almost don't want side one to end but let's <laughs> let's flip it over so flipping over to side two and you know it's interesting because side one there's there's a lot, there's a lot to process. And then we flip it over and we start out with Watch Them Chime. really has this optimistic feel and this sense of hope over adversity. And I'm wondering, am I on the right track? Yes, yes, you are definitely. And it has that for me too. And it's funny because it, we were just talking about editing and, and how you do, and that's a song that I I could have very easily ruined and and really sort of had a sense that I was going to do that because <laughs> I, 
I just I, I felt like I just wanted to make it weirder. I wanted to make it more complicated. I wanted to have I don't know why, you know, I just had this kind of nagging thing and and mm-hmm. I caught myself luckily I think every time and just said, "No, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone." And and when I when it was finally sort of ready and I played it for for my bandmates and other people, you know, everyone was just sort of responded that same way. I was like, Oh yeah, no, this just feels complete. This is, this is, you don't have to mess with this at all. It was great. And, um, and so I really, I love now that it does, it is a very hopeful song and the verses, you know, there's some, you know, kind of recognition, I think in the verses that, you know, times are troubled, things are going on, it's complicated, but uh, that chorus just sort of obliterates all that. The chorus is very clear that there's, you know, there's hopefulness that there's there are positive experiences that there are things happening that are not overwhelmed by the complicated things going on around them. This is actually my favorite song on the entire album. Uh, I just love mm. watch them chime. It's it's definitely my favorite. There's a riff in there that actually reminds me of the Pixies a little bit with that da na 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 na. Oh yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, what's that song? Um, Here comes your man or something like that. A little bit. Yeah. There's. Oh, that's some very similar. cool. But um, that being said, this is my favorite song. I love watch them chime. This is if if I was still making mixtapes for for uh, girls that I went to school with, watch them chime <laughs> is gonna be on there. <laughs> All right. So that being said, let's move on. So the next song has kind of. Um, parts of it has hints of rockabilly to me with like the the, the timing the the timing of the drums and um, we go from a very optimistic song watch them chime even though we know there's all this adversity and things that we're dealing with and then we come to war is still hell And I, I wasn't sure if this was a title from a Slayer album or from B- Bye Bye Blackbirds. So. <laughs> can, can you tell us about War is Still Hell? It's definitely a Slayer cover. No. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I didn't really even think about the juxtaposition of those two songs. Yeah, I, you know, I just don't want people to get too comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's probably, it's the darkest song in that sense and that there's there's kind of a, some anger there's some real frustration in it um the way that i 
have sort of taken to thinking about it is um, the you know, I live in in Oakland, and Oakland is a real is a real activist city, um, you know, and particularly during the Occupy marches, uh, I felt really attuned to sort of the way that the city kind of jumps off their couch and runs out into the street, you know, when things, when things are heating up. And um, I don't necessarily know, you know, if the song has a kind of pessimistic or optimistic sense about it, but it's, it's more just that feeling of being in a place where, um, you know, people are really aware that the, the conversations you're overhearing are conversations about social justice, they're conversations about um, economic realities and, and, you know, racial strife and things like that. Um, and I, I work in Berkeley, which is, you know, famous for that and has a very different personality, um, but again, is an activist city in that regard. So I think just living, you know, your kind of day-to-day life in a place where that kind of stuff is really present for people. It's really on their minds and it's, it's right outside your door. Um, I think that's what fed into that song lyrically. Perfect. And then we get to If It Gets Light. Clocking in at over seven minutes. You know, Jeff, you were talking <laughs> about that sweet spot. This song stands out. obviously for being the longest song on the album. And we were just curious about the inspiration behind this song. Um, It's a funny one. It's, it's, in a way, I'm surprised that I hadn't written a song like it before, because it is really unique for me. Um, But it's very in keeping with things that I have absorbed and loved since I was young. And, you know, I'm a huge Velvet Underground fan. love there's a a great band in the 90s and 2000s called outrageous cherry that i love and um that sort of droney driving you know i mean the song is mostly one chord Mm -hmm. uh with guitar freakouts you know all that kind of that's stuff that i love but for whatever reason it had never really materialized in my own writing and um you know i have no recollection of writing the song in terms of you know, what my mindset was, but it was, it just sort of started falling into place. And the more that I was, you know, putting it together, the more I kept thinking like, Oh, this, this just feels like this really kind of unhinged song, you know, it's just, it's so 
primal in so many ways, um, even though there's a lot of subtle detail in it, both lyrically and musically. Um, but it, you know, it felt like something that could have been on, you know, the Velvet Underground's Matrix tapes or something like that, you know, just this really like kind of epic thing. And um, it was a song that instantly sounded good. You know, I, I brought it to the band and it was like, oh yeah, we know exactly what to do, you know, and it just kind of fell into place. Um, every time we played it live, it would have this really kind of, you know, it would make an impact and people would really respond to it. It's a song that's different every time, you know, that the solos are not scripted, they're not written. So they can be a lot longer, they can be a lot shorter, they can be noisier, they can be more melodic. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really, it's, for me, it's a very exciting song. It's something I'm really proud of because it represents another aspect of what we do as a band that hadn't been captured on record before and hadn't really been realized before. Yeah, the guitars are fantastic, and there's, I mean, there's even a feedback on, I think, on the the, the second section of the, the guitar, um, the guitar blowout part. And I would imagine this song <laughs> killing live. And I was just curious, especially with Lenny coming in later, it seems like it would be a difficult song to record in the studio to me. Playing live, yes, I, I, I imagine, yeah, this is just probably the maybe towards the end of the set and just a monster live version. Was it difficult to to capture this in a studio setting? It wasn't the, the my anxiety leading up to it was enormous because <laughs> for exactly the reasons you're talking about, I was like, how are we going to do this? You know, um, and uh, I will say that we did we did have time to rehearse as a trio leading up to recording. So we were we were getting very used to the idea of leaving the spaces for Lenny's parts and knowing what they were. We had demos and stuff. Um, but this one, like you said, it's it's so much about improvising um, that I really didn't, I, I was really concerned about how much work was going to have to go into me, and then concerned that that work was going to make it sound different, that it wasn't going to have that sort of organic, free-flowing sort of feel, that it, we were going to have to script it, and then it was going to get stiff and kind of be boring. Um, and I guess all I can really say is that Somehow I just kind of got into like like kind of trance mode with it. I can you know say, yeah. it was just I stopped stopped thinking about it. Um, the first two little solo bits are are Lenny's solos by himself, and so for those sections, you know, I was just playing that rhythm part, and then when it felt like 
I was done playing that rhythm part. I just went to the next section. You know, I didn't really count it. I didn't think. I just thought, Lenny will know what to do. He'll just do his thing. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then the main solo part is both of us soloing at the same time, you know, and, and my solo, I just went into it. You know, I did, it's not overdubbed. I just, you know, stepped on some noisy pedals and, and, and went for it and, and treated it as a, as a, trio performance you know i didn't really think at all another guitar has got to interact i just said i'm just going to do what i'm going to do and you know lenny will, will do his thing um so that performance that's on the record uh is very very live very off the floor the, the drums bass rhythm guitar all the original drum bass rhythm guitar tracks none of those things were replaced um it was maybe the first or second take I don't, I don't remember now but it was just very spontaneous and so somehow I just managed to turn that off and just let it go and and one of the things that was sort of encouraging too about it was not only did it feel great as a trio like we all immediately liked it and we thought oh this is great the power of the song was there already um but in a in a cool way while Lenny was recuperating from his surgery um one of the ways that he sort of built back his strength and, and, you know, rehabbed was playing along with these songs and getting its playing back, but also just sort of, you know, the, the emotional and intellectual aspect of, of recovery as well. And uh, so I think it was, it was part of what's cool about that song is that his, the stuff that he came in and did essentially in one pass is, um, sort of an extension of that recovery process, you know, that he lived with this thing that, that we did as a trio and really felt it and really just kind of organically absorbed it so that when he played, it wasn't this mapped out thing. It was, he was also in that space. He had kind of, you know, spent time with it and really absorbed it. So that, so I feel really uh, grateful that we were able to keep this ensemble live feel, uh, for something that, like you said, was really, you know, potentially <laughs> treacherous in terms of how to capture something like that with a with a key piece missing. Wow. This is actually my second favorite song on the album, <laughs> Behind Watch Them Chime. I love it. But I'm a guitar player, so of, of course I would say that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And then, Soraya, I wanted to uh, ask you, if did you re- do you remember when we had Michael Coercio on the show talking about the game theory album that Bradley mm-hmm. was referring to later. Do you remember that quote that he said, get to the fucking chorus? Do you remember that? There you go. <laughs> so I wanted to tell you, with this song, um, the chorus does not begin until the six minute mark. <laughs> and it's thrown in at the end of the song. But yeah, I love it. I love it. So that that does not happen in any other song on this album. On the rest of the album, Bradley gets to the fucking chorus. On this one, yeah, it's it's, it's definitely this time, a different. This time, Quercio, I'm you know, 
I'm going to have to, you know, let you go, Quercia. This time I'm going to show you a totally new way to do it. Um, I, I highly recommend this, by the way, for songwriters. It is so satisfying to build a song for that long and then go to the chorus after six minutes. It's really, really, really fun. So, I, you know, if you've ever sort of, you know, wondered how, you know, how can I build drama that's a great way to do it i I recommend it i love it i love it like i said this is my second favorite song great approach bradley (laughs) so that brings us to the very last song on boxer at rest and it's all our friends To me, this sounds like it could be a tribute, maybe. Is that the fact? Kind of. This is the the second song that's about uh, the ghost ship tragedy, um, as I interpret it. It's... um, it is. It's it's a, a, a tribute to, to people lost and and about um or it comes out of what what it felt like essentially to wake up, you know, that day and, and learn about what had happened and um immediately just sort of thinking about the ripples of that through the community, all of the friends and family and, and you know, coworkers and colleagues, you know, you just think about sort of that you know, the the way that that moves through a, a community, a loss like that. And uh, so it, it really was meant to be, I think, a, a kind of, again, sort of like um, Baby It's Still You, this sort of loving message of of letting people know what they mean, you know, letting people know they're appreciated, embracing them. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a, it's a good last song in that way, you know, because for, for all of the dark stuff that we've been talking about with almost all of these songs, uh, it's not, to me, at least, it's not a dark record. It's a very hopeful record. and It's a very loving record, I think. And, and that song, this song, I think, epitomizes it in a way, you know, that it's about, comes out of this, this pretty horrific thing, but it's very much about appreciating people and, 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 um, and recognizing, you know, uh, their value and their connection in, in your life and in your community. That's beautiful. That's what it's all about to me. Agreed. Appreciating the people that we have there in go. our circles. Yeah. I don't want to stop talking to Bradley at all. I don't. <laughs> but before we move on to other topics because you know if he brought in a chorus at the six minute mark you know we can keep talking but um <laughs> we're just getting started we're, we're, we're really gonna getting kick started. In. you think it's over it's not let's go um, now we're gonna get our second win um we always like to share with our listeners places where um especially on social media and online where they can find your music and find you so let's start with um, Bye Bye Blackbirds. 
Um, we both purchased Boxer at Rest from the group's Bandcamp page, and we wanted to know, is this the best place to go to find this album, Boxer at Rest, and all the previous albums, or is, uh, is there another place that you prefer to direct people to? No, definitely. Uh, Bandcamp is definitely the way to go. Um, it's, uh, we've got everything that's in print there. They're, they're, the first record and the second record are out of print physically. Uh, second one is available digitally there, but that's pretty much where everything's at. Um, some local Bay Area record stores have some of it, although currently I haven't been able to get to them and, and stock them up. So uh, that's not really a thing. But yeah, Bandcamp is, is definitely the place to go. Okay. And are you or is the band available on social media if people would like to follow you and where should they go? Yeah, if you just look the band up on Facebook, our Facebook page is is there and pretty active. I'm always putting reviews and videos and links and stuff up. So Facebook band page is, is the best spot. Awesome. Awesome. And then I've got one last question. And that is, uh, I mean, you know, because we're only in the six minute mark of our. <laughs> I want to know what you're listening to right now. Oh, um, it's always a hard question because it's always a lot. That's, so how about I'm, I limit it? What are you listening to today? Today? That's a good question. So today I will probably, I haven't listened to much stuff yet because my wife is working from home, but I, um, there's a, a, a new record called Autobiography by the Moore Brothers that is really phenomenal. They're sort of local heroes around here. And if you talk to anyone who's a musician around here at some point, they will speak with reverence about the Moore Brothers. So their new record, Autobiography, is, is great. Um, this whole pandemic, I've been on a real uh, Blue Note jazz kick. Uh, so I've been listening to lots of, lots of Blue Note jazz. Um, uh, Jackie McLean in particular. So that's probably going to get played today. Maybe some Bobby Hutcherson, some more. Blue Note jazz stuff. Um, I have a, a one of my hobbies is I, I love making Spotify playlists. Um, sometimes like best ofs for individual uh -huh. artists. Like that's a real fun thing that I like to do. Um, and so uh, I want to make one for the Walker Brothers. I was thinking that'd be kind of fun to try to see if I can get an hour's worth of good Walker Brothers out of their train wreck of a catalog. Um, you know that might be fun. I have a playlist of all my favorite hip hop songs from the year that I want to go through and really listen to carefully. So, you know, I mean, this is sort of how I, you know, get through days is by having a combination of just like new things that I love that I'm excited about. Plus sort of almost like project listening, you know, like, Oh, uh, you know, today's the day when I'm going to dive into this. Well, Jeff and I are, are definitely riding that train mix of old and new. So yes. we're right along with yeah. you. Yeah. And if we wanted to find <laughs> your list on Spotify, would we look for your name? Like, oh, are you, can we question. find you or are you private and and we need a VIP pass? I don't know. You know, I, I sort of just do this for myself and then I send it to friends. But um, okay. the, the user the username that I, I use on Spotify is... Um, Vecchia Signora. Oh, <laughs> La Vecchia Signora. Be, yeah, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to 
look up, I guess, but I, I don't know if you look that up, if, if, you know, my playlists pop up or not. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but I do share them on my personal page and, you know, I'm always happy to send things, you know, to people if they want. Um, but yeah, no, I hadn't really thought about that before. I, you're the first person to really ask, I guess. <laughs> well, I was just seeing people like, oh, I don't want to listen to an hour of Walker Brothers. Leave it, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to me. So wait, <laughs> I have to ask, are you a Juve fan? That you're calling yes. yourself La Vecchia Signora? Yeah, that's that's my soccer team. That's one of my, I'm a big sports fanatic in general. And that's yes, I know. <laughs> huge, huge, huge in my little sports universe. So yeah, that's that's where that came from. And I can't believe I, I actually got that, you know. Usually any Juve-related nickname is going to be taken by the time you get to log into something. But um, I must have been early enough on Spotify that the, the crazy that's, Italians that's had not overrun it yet. There you go. All right. So, Bradley, we've talked a lot about Boxer at Rest. Can we expect new new music from the Bye Bye Blackbirds in the future? Yeah, definitely. I... I've actually written more than I expected um, since the album came out. It usually takes me a while to kind of retool, but um, we've we've written some stuff. We've been passing it around. Um, I haven't really, you know, I don't necessarily have a, a vision for an album in place yet, but uh, it'd be fun to do a single. It'd be fun to do something, get th- get some things rolling. Um, there's a there's a band from Portland called Eyelids that I love and and they're really inspiring to me in part because it seems like they always find ways to put new stuff out. You know, like they, they make great records and those come out fairly regularly, but they always kind of fill those gaps with cool things, cool projects. And uh, my thinking has been a little more along those lines, like maybe, you know, some way to get something out sooner than, you know, the usual two or three years or whatever it takes between records. So yeah, there's, there's definitely more coming and, and um, hopefully it will be cool. Very cool. I would imagine if Boxer at Rest is any indication, it yeah. will definitely be cool. All Thank right, Bradley. You. We said we'd take an hour of your time. We've gone over a little bit, but <laughs> I thank you so much for sharing these stories and background behind this album that Sarai and I are... It's definitely high on our list for the year so far. Absolutely. We, we absolutely love the album. Um, we really appreciate you taking time to walk through it with us. It's been a pleasure, and I, I I really appreciate you listening, you know, carefully and closely and responding and really thinking about it. It means a lot, and um, and hopefully um, uh, your listeners will be excited by it and, and want to dig in themselves. So thank you. It's much appreciated. Awesome having you on, and hopefully this won't be the last time, and we'll have you on, you know, when that new single drops. Anytime, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really See, fun. I like that he said it. Anytime. We're all in. We're all in. <laughs> all right. All right, Bradley. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You guys take care, all right? All right. You, you do as the well. Same. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 What do you think, Soraya? You know what? Um, Jeff and I have just... You know, we've walked through box art rest. Bradley Scott is, he's a real deal. Serious. Yep, absolutely. Um, and great lyricist, really good vision as a musician and kind of arranging and putting things together. And then, like, how many people do you know that says, you know what, I'll take on that challenge. 
of releasing it independently and doing all of it myself. And on his social media, there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are photos of him, you know, carrying the packages to be sent. I mean, like, he's a real deal. And he is, I mean, this was, this was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, I knew from, just from the lyrics alone, that having a conversation with, with Bradley would be very interesting. And I, it definitely was. So uh, you could tell. Um, he's a very heady guy when you read through the lyrics and he's a person that has a heart. So that's, that combination doesn't always happen. If you have somebody that's heady and, um, is emotional, um, and a very caring person. So I love, I love the optimism that's, uh, in this album, even though it, uh, um, deals with some pretty heavy, dark issues with the loss of, friends um the loss of um uh i would say um with the venue that burned down that's a loss of um almost like a second home right Mm -hmm. i mean you're dealing with some heavy things but there's still optimism throughout this album and um i didn't mention the fact that i love his voice the first time i listened to it i was and and he started singing i was like whoa his voice is a little bit different but but I've grown to really, really love his singing voice. And there's some mm-hmm. fabulous harmonies on this album, which I know you're a fan of. You love Huge. harmonies. Yeah. So the Boxer at Rest, definitely a fantastic album. I'm really glad that Matt took the time to point us in the direction of this album because uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, we want to encourage you all, you know, if you like what you hear in this episode... Go support the band. Go to their Bandcamp page. Um, this album, as well as others that are available, either with a physical copy or digital, um, digital um, access, are out there. You will not be disappointed at all. This is one of my favorites of the year. Agreed. So, Whew. all right, Jeff. So, uh, should we? Wrap up the song. Are we in minute seven? We are. <laughs> after we are. Our, after our, our uh, core showed up in minute six. Yes. I mean, but, uh, now that he told the story about it, it's like, okay. <laughs> I like it. I love that too. So, hey, how do we add it? Groove on, Paisley people. You won't hear that, so I'll stop that.